If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church, the last service of 2013. Wow, isn't that something? It's been such a year. 1229 of 13, our very last message. I want to welcome everybody that's coming to my home to sit down with our small house church that we have. It's a privilege and honor that I get to stand before you and speak and teach you today, that you give me this honor to do this. And I want to welcome everybody coming from YouTube or SoundCloud. Welcome from all over the world. I want to join, uh, welcome you and ask you to feel welcome like you're just in my home with me as well, too. I'd love to have you here if you're ever in, in town, or in a little McKinney, Texas, where you're welcome, wherever you're coming from. Uh, we, I just uh, thank you that you give me the privilege and honor that you support me and you uh, listen to me and that God has counted me worthy to teach his word. That's something that I don't count as a light thing. I count that as a very high honor that the Lord has counted me, little old Pastor Ed, to teach his word on a weekly basis and to give me the knowledge that he gives me to do this on a weekly basis. This sermons are very painstaking to put together, and I know what the Bible says when they labored in word and doctrine because I do it every week. I labor over the Word every week to come and, and bring you guys a, a message every week and according to what the Bible says, not according to what I want to teach you, but what the Bible says, what God gives me. So I want to pray before we open our service. I think I forgot that last week. The Lord kind of pointed that out to me. I think I forgot to pray as, we, as I opened my service. Well, Lord, help me to never forget again, Lord. If you join me in a word of prayer, Lord, thank you for this message, Lord, that you've given me. And thank you, Lord, for all these people, Lord God, that are listening all over the world, Lord, thank you so much for uh, drawing them to Gospel Saving Church and drawing them to the message that you have given me to tell them and to teach them, Lord. And it's just your words that I'm teaching them, Lord. I'm not teaching them my words, Lord. I'm not teaching them my opinions. I'm not teaching them what I want to say, Lord. I'm teaching them just what you want me to say. So I pray, Lord God, for no distractions. Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus, all of us, to focus today on your word and what you have to teach us today, Lord Jesus. 
Lord, I pray your saying would be true in the word, Lord, that in these days, which are these days now, that one man will not teach another, but everyone will be taught by your Holy Spirit, Lord. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and grow us and sanctify us, Lord, those that are yours. And Lord, those that are sitting on the fence or those that are not yours, Lord, I pray your word would draw them to you. As they hear your voice, Lord, I pray that they would not hold back from coming to you. I pray, dear God, that you'd bless my mouth and bless the ears of the hearers as they hear, Lord. I pray that they would hear and not just be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word, Lord. And I pray, dear God, that all of us would be strengthened and encouraged and drawn to you, Lord, all over the world, Lord, wherever we may be, whoever may listen to this. I love you and I praise you, dear God. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So our title of this week's message, and boy, when you hear this title, did I face some spiritual persecution this week and I created this message that God gave me. The title of this week's message is Understanding Demons and Demon Possession. And it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. And if you want to join me, we're going to read it. Matthew chapter 12. Verses 43 through 45. There's a lot to speak on this subject, even though it's only three verses. So bear with me as we read it, as we go through the scripture. I pray that the Lord would keep you enthralled in the message today. I pray you would hang on these words because there's a lot to learn here. There's a lot that I want us to soak in from this week's message. Verse 43 of Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is still speaking. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So first thing that we must point out, first thing that I must draw out of this scripture is we have to go just a little bit ahead to Matthew 12, 46 and Matthew 13, 1. And I'm going to read them for you really quick because we've had a change in scenery, I believe, at this point in the scripture. Matthew 12, 46 says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Well, what do you mean? They stood outside speaking to seek with him. Remember how we talked about in the past few weeks, Jesus came uh, and he was stood by the sea. And he was by the sea and multitudes stood around him by the sea. And then that's where he healed the whole demon-possessed man. He had the whole demon-possessed man seen. And the demon-possessed man was brought to him and he healed him and he, he made him... Uh, we may be able to see and may be able to speak. Well, now here, right after this, right after this little section here, he's standing outside. So go ahead and go to Matthew 13, 1. And it says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So obviously, this house was somewhere by the sea. I believe, as I said here earlier, that we had a change of scenery from the sea to the house at one point, and I believe that this happens here. Jesus was on the move a lot. He often walked from town to town, city to city, house to house, synagogue to synagogue. And as he went, the disciples and the multitudes of peoples just followed with him like 
Mark 10, 46, for example. Now they came to Jericho as he, Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. So notice, as he moved from place to place, town to town, people followed him. Multitudes followed him, just like I believe here. He's talking to the multitudes by the sea. They were walking, talking. He was teaching them. Then they made it into this guy's house, some, some person's house. We don't know whose house it was. They didn't just miraculously transport there. They went, they were walked, and Jesus walked. He, he lived a very normal life as far as life goes, like we do today. We, you know, he went to the, his disciples went to go get him stuff to eat, and he walked here, and he walked there, just like we'd walk around the city, and we'd do the things that we do. He did the same thing. And this section here is pretty sequential. We have the demon-possessed man in the beginning of Matthew 12. Then uh, as we go, Jesus talks to, you know, replies to those that are against him. Then he talks to them again, and the scribes ask for a sign. And so each section goes one upon another upon another. There's no real gaps here. None of the other Gospels have a gap in this section here. They all just continue to flow just like this. So again, I said, I believe that that's important. I think it's important, personally, to give you guys a scene, to help you guys see what I'm reading, not just speak it to you. I like to have a visual image of what I'm seeing as I read it, and I hope I do that for you as well, too. But I not only want to paint the scene for you, like I always do, but I always want to make sure we get our context right. We must Keep proper context in every section of Scripture we read. And that'll keep us away from the crazy interpretations. I mean, here you have Matthew you know, 12, 43 through 45. And really, if you just took this section of Scripture on its own, really, you know, you could probably come up with some crazy things that you'd really, you know, you could easily make up that Jesus just said. Really easily. But in essence, is, you know, if we don't keep our context, we can do that, sure. So what is our context if you want to go back to Matthew 12, 22, our context actually starts there. Remember, context is a central theme, a central idea. It's a constant idea that we have in a section of Scripture. We can't just randomly interpret Scriptures any way we want. We have to follow the context of the section. If the context of the section is talking about money or wealth, then we know that that whole section is about money or wealth. If it's talking about demons, if it's talking about whatever it's talking about, that's what we have to Follow And in here, our context actually starts in Matthew 12, 22, when I'll read it. Then one was brought to him who was deemed possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. That's our proper context. Now, if we read from verse 22 to verse 45, and I can challenge you to do this. It's okay. I'm not afraid. I know what I'm teaching here. If I challenge you to read verse 22 to 45, hopefully not now, you'll see that the topic or idea of this whole section of Scripture has had everything to do with Christ casting a demon out of a man, and then the Pharisees accusing him of doing it by Satan and slash the devil, and then Jesus' response to their condemnation of him. That follows from 22 to 45. That's the same whole theme, that's exactly this whole idea of that whole section. So... I just, we always have to remember to keep our context in proper order. Pretty interesting facts, two of them, before we start our section of Scripture, before we start teaching on it, um, before we start understanding Jesus' teaching to us on demons and demon possession. There is only one other section of Scripture 
in the whole New Testament that deals with, that has this, these, you know, this context, this idea here of Jesus talking about the unclean spirit and going out of a man. And that's found in Luke 11, 24 through 26. That's the only other one. Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Or just Matthew and Luke. No, nothing in Mark, nothing in John, and nothing in the whole New Testament as a whole. Only these two places. And ironically, we just spoke about context. Well, in these two sections of Scripture and Luke, Luke actually leaves out Jesus' whole response thing there. And Luke goes right from verse 22 through 30, whatever his, however much he explained it in, or a house divided cannot stand, where, you know, Jesus was kind of responding to them. They accused Jesus. He, he goes right from there, right to this section on unclean spirits and demons. And that, in essence, when you miss even everything in between, actually backs up the whole idea of the context of our scripture being about Jesus talking about, you know, that 22 to 48 here being our proper context. And that lines up with what we just spoke about. So I love how the Bible always speaks about the Bible. We can always go to the Bible and find truth. That's, that's my favorite thing. And second, remembering our context of this section and how Jesus is now telling us about demons and demon possession in this section, here Jesus is really giving us a behind-the-scenes spiritual look and understanding of demons and what happened to them and what happens to them once they're exercised. And remember here, we read about, you know, when unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places. Remember what just happened in Matthew 12, 22. Jesus just healed a man or exercised a demon out of a man. So what Jesus really just did here in this little section is he kind of gives us a what was happening to that demon. As we read along, you'll see, he kind of gives us what was happening to that demon and even that man as he healed and as he cast the demon out of the man in Matthew 12, 22. I think that that's pretty cool because we don't always get to see the spiritual aspect beside it. We, you know, we will see what Jesus does, but we don't always get to see what happens behind in the spiritual realm. And right here in these few verses here, Jesus really goes in depth and we can see that this is what Jesus just did. And wow, that's kind of what happens when a demon gets cast out. Oh, wow. Let's, let's look at it. So now that I hope your interest is really piqued, now let's read verse 43 and let's see what Jesus has to teach us about demons and demon possession. Verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. The very first thing I see here is Jesus calls this thing, whatever this thing is, an unclean spirit. Well, what is an unclean spirit? You, you may say, well, Pastor Ed, I thought you said this section was script. Uh, I thought you said this section of scripture was going to be about demons and demon possession and learning about those. But yet Jesus opened up and is an unclean spirit. So what is an unclean spirit? Ah, remember our context, Matthew 12, 22. Jesus cast a demon out of the spirit. An unclean spirit is another word for demon. And did you know that the Bible says that demons are fallen angels. Well, Revelation 12, 7 and 9. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, being that Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought. And verse 9 tells us that those, that they lost that fight and that Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven. So demons slash unclean spirits are the same, are really fallen angels. So now, what is Jesus telling us about demons slash fallen angels? Verse 
3, again, he tells us that they can be in a man. You may be saying, well, you know, that better known as possession. Well, what do you mean they could be in a man? He just says right here, because Jesus says that he can go out of a man. Something has to be in before it can be out. That's kind of a given, but as I was going through, God showed me that. You know, people may be thinking, oh, demons can't really possess a person. Well, Jesus said when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Well, you can't be out of some. If I walk out my house, I couldn't be out of my house already. I had to be in my house walking out. Interesting fact. What else does Jesus say here? He says to us here that demons are of male. They're, they're males. They're not females. You may be saying, what? Demons are males? When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. What's the he? You mean that there's, there's no female demons? There's no female demons that possess people? No. In fact, in the entire Bible, there's not one reference to one female angel ever. Old Testament, Genesis 6-2, 6-4, Job 1-6, and 38-7, all reference the sons of God. And they all have a little bit, you know, the sons of God, God went down to the daughters of men. And the sons of God assembled themselves before God Almighty, and Satan was with them. New Testament, Jude 1-9, Revelation 12-7, Michael the archangel. And Luke 1.19 and Luke 1.26 record Gabriel. Well, in case you haven't wondered, I've never heard of a Michael, that's a girl, or a Luke or a Gabriel, that's a girl either. These are guys' names. My, um, Michael and Gabriel, all again male names. So demons, fallen angels, are all of male descent. I, I got a kick out of that. I didn't even realize that. So once these demons go out of a person, or you could say they're cast out of a person because they really don't want to leave. All biblical examples of any kind of demon possession and demon exorcism are all where somebody did something to make that demon, force that demon, draw that demon out of that person. They don't want to leave. So they go through dry places seeking rest. What is Jesus telling us here? How do we know that they really don't want to leave? How do we know this from this passage? Jesus says that they go out seeking rest and they find none. Now, in case you, you know, missed that, because I did at first when God showed me that, if, you're, if you wanted to leave and you wanted to go and you could rest somewhere else or because they've got to go seek rest. When you're in a place, when you're in your home, you rest in your home. When you go out of your home and you're out for a while, you seek rest. You want to come back home. Wherever you're resting is where you're comfortable. So the demon that's possessed the person is not comfortable outside of their home, outside of where they've possessed. They're not comfortable. They're only at rest in the person that they own, not away from them. So then, once they're kicked out of a person, they must go through dry places. Well, I believe these dry places are just the environment. 
think about uh, if you're in your home. I'll use the home analogy again. And you're at rest and you're, you know, you do things around your house and that's where you feel you belong. But then you're kicked out. And you, you're forced to go be homeless. What do you want to do? You don't like being homeless. I want to get back to my home. And they so don't like being out of the possessed body that they own that they'll even choose an animal so that they don't have to be out of a nice, comfortable place to live. Remember when Jesus ran into the two demon-possessed men, uh, the Gergesenes with his disciples, Matthew 8, 30, uh, 28-31. The Bible says, When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, uh, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they, the demons and the men, cried out, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Now a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. They didn't want to be in those dry places in the environment, away from a host body so badly that they said, please don't send us out. Send us to that swine over there. They'd have rather been in something and even another creature than they would have rather been just floating around in the atmosphere somewhere. They go through dry places seeking rest. Okay. If or when they can't find rest or a new suitable home to stay in after they have been cast out, what do they do next? Read verse 44. If they remember, if they can't. Then he says, the demon says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. But the first part there, then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Notice how he said, I will return to my house. Remember, this is possession that we're talking about here, first of all. Possession, the definition of possession is ownership. They own whomever they possess, they own own that person. I will return to my house as a reference there. They consider it my house. And they're very persistent, notice. They don't give up easily. Now, they kind of want it their way, just like people do. They want it, I want it my way. I don't, I don't want to be out of my house. That's, that's my house. How, how dare I be out of my house? I want to go back home. Now, sadly, we break away from possession for a second well, probably for a little bit more than a second, to oppression. Because sadly, these truths that we're reading about possession don't just hold true for possession. They also hold true for demon oppression as well. Yes, shockingly, believe it or not, demons just don't possess people. They oppress people as well. Unlike ownership, oppression is not where they actually own it's where they exercise authority or power over a person in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust way. Unlike ownership, the demons uh, get when they possess someone. When people allow demons to oppress them, they notice they allow people to oppress them. You may be saying, how? How does this oppression thing work? God tells us, and his Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, he gives us a little insight to oppression. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Notice that that's a lifestyle. God's warning them, don't live that lifestyle. I wonder why. Don't live the kind of lifestyle to serve and worship other beings. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Look what he says here. Visiting the iniquity or sin of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. There's lots of explanation on this one. Bear with me. Demons, unclean spirits are drawn to people because Satan hates God. And people because we're made in God's likeness. We're made in God's actual image. We're the apple, the Bible says, of God's very own eye. The devil and his unclean spirits can't hurt God. Okay, He's so mighty and so powerful and so wonderful and so awesome. Satan can come, and the Bible says that he stands before God accusing the brethren on a daily basis. Even to this day, if you're a Christian, if you're sold out soldier for Christ, then Satan's in heaven right now, and he's in God's face, and he's actually accusing you. And everything you do, he stands before God and says, Look at what he just did. Oh, look at how he talked to that person. Oh, look what, that, look what he did. Oh, he's not trusting in you right now. He's accusing you right now. But Satan can't hurt God. So how does Satan get to God since he hates him? Well, he gets to God through us. Satan and all those that follow him are purely evil beings, bent on destroying God's most beloved of all his creation. Because God loves all his creation. But people are God's most beloved of all his creation. In Exodus 25, the sins of those that hate God will not only be brought on them, because that's, in essence, God warned them not to do it. God doesn't warn you not to do something if there's no consequences to it. Not only be brought on the people that are doing those sins, but they'll also be brought on their children to the third and fourth generation. This is also called, if you've ever heard this one in Christendom, it's also called a generational curse. And that is true. The Bible speaks about a generational curse. So how is demon oppression involved in all this? Well, when a person hates God, that means that they decide to live a lifestyle of satisfying the lusts of their flesh along with its passions. As the person lives this way, their lifestyle invites and gives permission to demons to come and attach themselves to that person spiritually to oppress them and continue to draw them down the God hating path. And believe it or not, as somebody willfully lives that lifestyle, God, although he's so loving and he's so forgiving and he's so gracious, God even allows that person to continue down that path. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 1, 28-31 that God actually gives the person over to that kind of lifestyle. Listen with me to 1, Romans 1, 28-31. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, mal maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are worshipers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiven and unmerciful. 
And because they wanted to live that way, God says, because you wanted to live that kind of lifestyle, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to stop you because that's your, I gave you your free will. Go ahead on and I'll give you over to that kind of lifestyle. But that kind of lifestyle deserves and, and warrants demon oppression. As the person lives this, life, uh, this way of life, their lifestyle invites or gives demons permission to come and attach themselves to that person, spiritually oppressing them, and continues to draw them down that God-hating path. So sad. So since the person decides to live a life without considering God, then the Lord God does not protect that person. And so God allows the demons to attack and oppress, or in some cases possess the person, depending on the level of willingness the person has to open themselves up to that evil. So not only is the spiritual oppression happening to the one that hates God, but unfortunately, the spiritual oppression and the spiritual possessions can even happen to the children of the person that hates God. Sin, you see, biblically never just takes down one person. Sin just never stays with one person. Sin affects many people. When we sin, our actions have a consequence. Our sinful actions have a consequence just like any other action that we do. Action, reaction. It's just the way of life. And when we sin, that's an action, and that sin rubs off and follows and, and takes down more. It's almost like a bomb. When a bomb goes off in a building, a bomb just doesn't take off what's in the few feet around it. A bomb will go off and it'll take out maybe the glass that's in the area. It'll destroy desks or chairs or whatever else is in its bomb zone. Examples of this spiritual oppression or that, that fall upon people and unfor these unfortunate generational curses that typically follow people and their children, drug, alcohol, audio, visual addictions. Children see their parents' lifestyles and they're drawn by not only learned behavior, because we are creatures of our environment, but we're drawn by not only learned behavior, but we're also drawn, as we just read in Exodus, by spiritual forces as well. God gives us over. God lets that iniquity fall upon not only us, but our children as we live, as we love a God-hating lifestyle. Eating disorders, eating disorders, profane speech, disrespectful toward others, any kind of evil and malice, really, that we willfully, lovingly live for, can and typically will follow one generation to another. And please don't be fooled. Please don't think for a second that the demons don't know what you love in your flesh. Because they've had thousands of years to study the things that you love and that you're attracted to. And don't be foolish to think that they don't know that your children that come from your same body aren't going to be prone to fall in those same places. A child that's lived their whole life and sees their father be an alcoholic, that's all they see. That's all they know. Their dad's an alcoholic. He comes home, he drinks all the time. Or beats his wife or beats his children. Don't think that when that child grows up, the demons won't be going, hey, oh, look what you want. Oh, look at those. Oh, you need drugs. Oh, you need drugs. Look, your dad needed drugs. And that child will be prone to fall in that same way, not only because of their learned behavior, but also because of the spiritual oppression that follows from one generation to another. Demons aren't stupid. 
Like I said, they've had thousands of years to study us poor human beings who would only live maybe, get, maybe we might get 100 years on the earth anymore. They're not stupid. They know exactly the way to attack us. And please know God's word is relevant because we still see this kind of thing happening today. The children of the parents are falling to the same sins that their parents fell to. God's word is relevant until the world ends. Absolutely. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care whatever you hear. God's word is relevant, which means it applies to you and me the same as it applied to Exodus 20 back when the Hebrews got it from Moses back thousands of years ago. God's word is relevant. And oppression is very bad and sad, sad, sad stuff. So back to Jesus teaching us about spiritual possession. In the first part of verse 44, let's start reading it. Second part of verse 44, excuse me. And he says, so when the demon says, I'll return to my house, which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. So we already talked about how demons, they really don't want to give up. So when a demon comes again to his old house, that he was cast out of. Remember, there's only one that can cast a demon out. We talked about that in Matthew tw chapter 12 earlier. Only the Spirit of God can cast a demon out. So once a demon has been cast out of his house that he really didn't want to leave in the first place, and he leaves, if he does not find a suitable place, he comes back to his old house. He comes back. What does that show me? Jesus showed me in this. Demons and Satan, they're persistent. They don't want to give up. They keep going, and they're like they have a pounding effect, and they'll come back, and they try, and they try, and they try. They're very persistent. So when demon comes again to his old house, because he did not find a comfortable new home, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And we can add unprotected. We will touch on this in a moment, but first, uh, let's talk about this clean, swept, and put in order. What is Jesus saying to us here? When this demon comes back, he finds his house clean and swept and put in order. What is he saying? Well, as God casts the demon out, as God moves the demon out of his home, what happens instantaneously is a cleaning effect. The person no longer has this possession, this, this other being, this other you know, thing living in him. The demon is cast out. So a healing starts happening. Luke tells us the same event that Matthew told us in chapter 8.35, uh, but Luke adds, excuse me, Luke adds in 8.35 to the demon-possessed man, and Matthew 12, he adds, when the people came back to see Jesus, remember Jesus had cast the demons out of the two demon-possessed men in the Gergesenes, when, when the people came back to see Jesus, that they found the man that Jesus had just cast out the demons out of sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Whether or not anything else happens past the demon possession, okay, the demon's gone, the person starts to be in his right mind again. So there's a cleansing effect that happens in the side of the person once the demon's gone. The demon's no longer attached, he's no longer living in, the person starts healing. On to verse 45. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. As I mentioned earlier about how when the demon came back and found the person's spiritual state all cleansed up, 
but not protected. Well, since there was no protection found over that house, the demon was able to come back, and not just him, but then he goes and gets seven other demons, more wicked than himself, and he goes and he lives in that person. How is that possible? Well, when God cleanses that demon, that's all well and good. That demon's gone. But if that person gets no spiritual protection upon themselves after that demon's gone, then that demon, as we just read from Jesus here, can come back. And then he doesn't just come back by himself. He goes and he grabs seven others with him, and he comes back and he, he makes that spiritual state of that man worse than the man's very first start. Well, how does he get that protection? Where does that protection come from? Well, if the Holy Spirit was the only one that could have cast that demon out, there's only one that can keep that demon out. There's only one that can protect the spiritual state of that man or woman from that demon ever coming back in. And that is, of course, God. How does a person get to that state? Of course, the demon, possess, the demon possession is gone. The man is free. He's in his, he's in his right mind. At that moment, that guy or that girl has got to make a real quick decision do I want to surrender to God then or Christ now? Because if you don't and you just take God's healing and you just take God's you know, exorcism of that demon that was in you and then you're all right, that's awesome. I'm good to go. Then that demon's not going to leave you alone. He's going to come back. And if he sees that you still haven't surrendered to God or Christ in your life, he's going to say, ah, it's free. Oh, oh it's, it's too nice in here. I got to go get some more of my pals and I got to go rush in there and let's go get him again. I, we, I want my home back. Let's go get him. So warning, if you've ever been demon-possessed and God's ever cast that demon out of you, you better get saved. Or else the last state of you will be worse than the first that you had. So Jesus said it had been better that you were only possessed by the one rather than having seven more in there with you. Wow. So what else do we see here? Did you catch that? That the one demon left, and when he came back, he brought seven other more wicked than himself. Did you catch that? God just showed me that. In the demon realm, there's worse demons, and there's better demons. There's demons that are kind of weak, and they're evil. Yeah, sure, because none of them are good. But there's some that are more evil than others. So even in the demonic realm, just like in, the peop just like in our world of the living of people, there are some people that are kind of nice, but there are some people that are mean, and then there's some people that are really evil. Well, what do we see there? In the demonic realm, there's some demons that are bad, and there's some demons that are more evil than other demons. Wow, amazing. And again, that references, Jesus says he goes and gets seven more, more wicked than himself. So again, like I said, after all eight are living in that person, Jesus tells us that the last state of that man was worse than the first. It was better that man be possessed by only the one demon than by the seven more. Isn't that crazy? Last part of 45. Let's read it. So shall it be with this wicked generation. Jesus just turned the tide here a little bit. Jesus just went from teaching us about demons and demon possession to relating the way a demon-possessed situation works with his evil generation. Jesus just said that his generation will be like this person. We read about today who gets freedom from a demon, but doesn't turn to God or Christ so that he may be covered 
and protected when the demon comes back, bringing, him seven, bringing with him seven more that are more wicked than himself to live in him. Therefore, making the last state of that man worse than the first. Why does Jesus say this about his generation or the Jewish nation as a whole? Well, the Jews and the Jewish nation of Jesus' day were underneath, underneath the yoke of a demonic, satanic bond of Satan. They were not free. I remember a conversation that Jesus was having with some religious leaders, and he said that, you know, he, he mentioned this, and they said, what do you mean? We're, we're not slaves to anyone. And Jesus said, oh, you're slaves to sin, but now, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus referenced this section about how, you know, you aren't free like you think you are. So the whole Jewish land as a whole were, was under a demonic slash satanic oppression from Satan. And Christ came as the propitiation from God to set them free from that demonic oppression and possession that they were under in Jesus' day. But they would not receive it. They would have rather had devils reigning over them than to be redeemed to God by what Christ Jesus did for them. Look at what Christ says in other scripture about this same subject. Matthew 23, 37 and 38. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. I came to set you free, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I came that you would not be oppressed and possessed by the satanic power that's over you right now, but you would not be gathered to God. So now your house is left to you desolate. Now the last state of you will be worse than the first because you rejected me. And this one really is sad. Luke 19, 41 through 44. Now as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. Jesus just said, I'm here. I'm gonna give, I can give you peace from this evil oppression that you face. I can give you peace from this satanic oppression and the satanic power that you're under. I can give you peace. He says, but now that you rejected me, he says, unfortunately, but now your eyes are, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, for days will come upon you, and we're going to go through these just real quick, for what days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Israel, Israel, your last state because I'm leaving and you rejected me will be worse than your first state. Unfortunately, this actually came to pass for Israel and it's still there, but some of the most major things that have happened to Israel, how they're the seven more came. How the same idea of this demon-possessed man came, we find in history. We find in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus came to take back Jerusalem. The Jews had rebelled in Israel, and they took back their land for a moment. And then Rome, of course, the devil, God said, it's gonna, last day to you is going to be worse than the first. So God sends 
Titus, the Roman general, back in 70 AD to Jerusalem. And what does he do? He completely destroys Jerusalem. Not one stone was left upon another of all the temple, all the beautiful temple that was there. And during this destruction, it was so bad that just Josephus, a Jewish historian of the day, claims that 1.1 million Jews were slaughtered, the majority of which being Jews were slaughtered on that day. Wow, that's not even bad. It was almost 1.2. 97,000 Jews were taken and they were captured and they were enslaved. Terrible, terrible. And what do we have even worse than that? Well, how, you say, Pastor Ed, how could we have worse than that? Yeah, we have worse than that because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. We have the Holocaust. We have the Holocaust where Hitler came and Nazi Germany killed almost or around 6 million Jews. And it was all because they missed the time of their visitation. They missed the time that Jesus Christ came to save them. They missed their time that Jesus Christ came to set them free. So yes, because of the Jews rejecting Jesus, the demon that was ruling over them, did he went and he got seven more to reign and he destroyed them and wiped them out and to this day Israel Jerusalem still under the captivity of demonic and satanic oppression still 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 to this day so sad that the Jews didn't accept Jesus Christ so sad that they just didn't turn to the Messiah as they just could have easily they missed their time for their peace so in closing the main focus of today's message, understanding demons and demon possession. And you could even say throw in there oppression because we just God had to throw that in there that demons oppress as well as possess. Jesus taught us a whole lot about this subject. I would say I'm glad to know it because I know my enemy better now. I know how my enemy operates better than I did before. I know even now since this study I can see with eyes that I was blind to even before the study about things in my own life that he wants to oppress me into and he wants to push me into. And now I know, nope, I'm not going to go there. So I hoped it, I hope, I help it hoped you as well too. We even talked about reasons demons oppress people. We talked really about a whole lot of sad information. But as I said earlier, and this really gets really sad when we look at all this, but the Jews of today are still under that same demonic, satanic control because of the rejection of Christ. But sadder even still, we can't stop there at the sadness. We really can't. If you're willing to receive it, because it is true, if you just take a good, long, hard look at your America, at your whole world today, 2013, in some places that are going to be listening to this message, even, even today or tomorrow when it's put on, it's going to be 2014 already because they're already ahead of us in just a day or so. If you look at your world today, you can easily see how, how much evil is accepted across our world today. Our whole world is under satanic slash demonic control. Our whole world has, is full of possessed and oppressed people by Satan. And if you look and you're honest, pornography, prostitution, adultery, homosexuality, sexual immorality, 
murder, rape, abortion, hatred, and anger fill this world that we live in today. And those certainly aren't characteristics of the one true God of all the universe. He said, I am light, I am love, I am peace. Those things aren't from him. And people as a whole, whether professing any kind of faith in God or not, accept and even, yes, approve of these godless ways of life. And you may be saying, what? Oh, I don't. come on, Pastor, I disagree with that. How? You may be asking. How can this be, Pastor? We mean people, whether they profess godliness or not, they accept these ungodless or these godless ways? And I say, yes. By paying to go to the movies of today that glorify it, and watching the television shows that talk about this stuff. You not only approve of it, but you show others you approve of it, and you accept this evil thing, and you make it seem normal. And that isn't all. When parents watch that kind of stuff, their children are watching it with them, and by default, they give their children the idea that it's okay to do as well. There's that generational curse again. As parents live in their sin, their children are affected by that sin. Their children see that people watch these evil movies, murder, rape, prostitution, pornography, adultery, all in the movies of today, all over the movie theaters. They're all in the movie theaters, all in our music today. All these things are talked about, and people go, and they spend their money, and they support the people that make this garbage and this filth that stands against God. And not only do you show, as I said earlier, not only do you show that, yes, I like that stuff, but you show others that you approve of it by going and spending your money at places that produce and honor and lift this stuff up like it's normal. So like I said, by default, they give their children the idea that it's okay to do so as well. And God then visits the sin of the parents on the children, and our children go a step further even than that. They not only are watching the movies that are evil and that promote these evil ideas at a younger and younger and younger age every day, but they also then, Satan's also in and he's oppressing them in and God's letting them in their video games. Where in their video games there's as much evil as there is on movies, even more, and then the child can even participate in making their character on their video game do those evil things. And it's all just normal. And it's all stuff that God hates because it's all sin that God hates. Morality as a whole across the world is getting worse and worse. Just look around you. And when those that love God as myself speak out against this kind of stuff, we're seen as the ones that are evil. We're made fun of. We're called extremists. Our government recently in America has even called us terrorists for standing up against the godless ways of this world in this country. We're seen as the ones that are bad when we speak out against it and say, that stuff's wrong. People, stop doing it. That stuff is wrong. So unfortunately, there's really not much good news in this message today. There's really not. The whole message has been full of bad news. 
Most people, because of the God-hating lives they live, supporting all the evil of our day, are so heavily led by satanic and demonic oppression that they don't even realize it. Of course, because we already read in Romans, God gave them over to that mind because that's what they wanted to do. God gave them over to live that way. So my question to those listening to this message today, to everyone that may listen to this message everywhere and at any time, who do you support by the ways that you live? The devil or Jesus Christ? If God looked at your music collection, does it glorify him or not? If God looked at the movies or the TV shows that you watched on your everyday basis. Because, oh, I just watch them all. They're just good entertainment. No, because you click on that station and because you go to that movie and pay that movie, those people that make that stuff, which are also led by Satan, they get more money, which helps them make more movies, which are more degradate, which are more away from God, and helps them lead more people unto hell. So if God looked at your movies that you watch and the TV that you watch, do the movies and the TV that you watch support him or not? Examine your lifestyle, please, folks. Please. Does your lifestyle line up with the way God wants you to live in his word in the Bible or not? If your lifestyle doesn't line up with the way God wants you to live in the Bible, then you are headed on the wrong path. And you're headed to hell. And his demons, the devil's demons, Satan and his demons are helping and oppressing you down that path every day of your lives. And you're on your way to hell. And as I said in Romans 1.24, Therefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God is even stepping aside and giving you over to do that because you will wholeheartedly Wanted it to be so. So I ask you today, if God looked at the things that you do, the ways of your life, the movies and the TV and the music that you listen to and watch and support, and not only do you support it, but you also, if you're a parent, you show your children that that stuff, that garbage is okay too. Who would he see that you honor? Bad news. All bad news. But there is good news, believe it or not. There is absolutely good news. Praise be to God. Because if you hear his voice today and you realize to yourself, you know what, I, I'm, wow, I never realized that. Wow, I hear you. Wow, I, oh my gosh, what, what was I doing? Uh, Pastor Ed, how do we change it? How do we get away from it now, Pastor Ed? How do we change? How, does it, how do we get away from it? But if we go from Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, if we just read the very next verse, we'll see that God even has a way out. That God even gives us hope, even in the midst of the evil that we live in, that the people are piling and falling and hoarding into hell with their lifestyle ways. The Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 6, that he will show mercy to thousands, 
to those who love him and keep his commandments. So if you want to break your generational curse, if you want to break even being, even being a, a, a tool for Satan to, to push that garbage off on your children and, and pass the evil down the line, you say, how do we do that today? Love God and keep his commandments. Whether as an individual or as a nation, if we decide to repent and turn to God with all our hearts and turn away from our evil ways, and surrender our lives to him and decide to live for Christ and keep his commandments, then he, God said in his word, Exodus 26, he will show us his mercy and block those demons from oppressing or possessing you, and he'll save you and your soul from the one-way ticket that you now have to hell. God wants you to repent from your evil and wicked ways of life. And he wants you to surrender to Christ today. Realize you're wrong. Realize, God, I didn't realize all that I do really affects others, absolutely. Pastor Ed, I didn't realize that Satan and his demons are oppressing me even that way, and then God's even letting them. And turn. Turn today. If you hear God's voice, turn today. And repent and turn to him away from your evil. And put your trust in him and love him and keep his commandments. Love him with your lifestyle. There is no hope in this world, not one. Everything in this world is falling down the drain. Everything in this world is being crushed. Everything in this world is perishing. It's all falling away. From a year to today, you may not have the same car you have because it could have broken down and you had to get a new one. A year from today, 10 years from today, you probably won't even be in the same house you you, you lived in. Maybe a a storm will tear it down or maybe it'll just get old and you're tired of repairing it. You'll have to get a new one. Everything in this life is perishing. Everything new becomes old really fast. There's no hope in this world at all. There's only hope in Jesus Christ because he doesn't perish. He doesn't fade away. He doesn't grow old. He never sleeps And he loves you and paid a high price for you. Not so that you could just go off and live any way you wanted. He paid a high price for you so that you could turn to him and show him you love him by your lifestyle and surrender your life to him. If that's you today, please repent. Please turn to him, fall on your knees and cry out to God, realizing you're wrong and tell him you're sorry. And then change. Turn to him and say, change me, God. I don't want to be this way anymore. And then not only will all the curses end, but you can have peace, just like Israel missed in their time of visitation with Christ. You can have peace with God today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for teaching us about oppression, about possession. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you helped us see our enemy, the devil and all his fallen angels or unclean spirits or demons, whatever you want to call them, Lord God. Thank you so much that you helped us see their tactics, Lord, because they don't ever give up. They're relenting, Lord. They're unrelenting, I should say, Lord. They're unrelenting. They continue to want to pound away, whether you're you're a sold-out Christian for Christ or whether you live in sin, Lord God. They hate us, Lord God, and they just want to destroy us, Lord. They know they can't get to you, but they know that they can hurt you by hurting us. And Lord God, you just, you give men their free will. And if we want to live and 
debased in evil ways, then Lord, you'll let us. But that's not your will for our lives. Your will is that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. So Lord, I just pray for everybody and anybody that's listening, Lord God. It's in need of repentance and in need of turning to you, realizing that they've been had by those demons, that they've been had by the spiritual oppression in this life. Lord, I pray that they would turn now to you, surrender to you, fall on their knees and cry out to you and ask you for forgiveness. And then, Lord, change their ways. Please, Lord God, give the people that are listening and watching this eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say, that they may not just continue on their pathway of destruction, but rather, dear God, I pray that they would turn to you and get saved and start showing you love. they love you instead of, instead of showing you by their ways and their lifestyles that they hate you. Please, God, save people that listen to this message. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.